Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. I want to begin by telling you about two people who are not part of our congregation. I just read about them. I want to share their stories. Number one, Holly lived a very depressed life because she was overwhelmed by the memory of her past sins. She felt so guilty because of what she had done. She had committed sexual morality and she had tried to kill herself while all along trying to hide this from her husband. He found out and he wanted to help, but his knowledge just increased her guilt. To make it worse, she hated herself because she committed these sins as a Christian. Her solution in dealing with her guilt was to take prescription tranquilizers. Person number two, Todd. He's also overwhelmed by his past sins. His personal business brought his family lots of debt and his schemes to get rich quick caused a lot of marital problems. At night, he would get drunk and scream at his wife in front of the kids. He ended up divorced. He was depressed because of the guilt he felt over his past sins and the way he dealt with it was by drinking. In some form or another, every single person in here has felt guilt or has felt guilty for what they've done in the past or what, maybe what they did last night. If I could meet with you one-on-one and you would tell me about what some of this guilt inside of you would say, well, it's, it's over my children. I didn't raise them the way I should have raised them. Or there's guilt of a, a broken marriage in the past and that's still something that comes up today. And there are a variety of things that we feel guilty over. Some of it's just low-grade guilt. But as humans, we often deal with guilt in ways that are not best. Perhaps we stay busy, maybe we drink too much or zone out, try to forget it. And the main point of where we're going to go today is what I'm going to try to impress upon you is to leave whatever schemes and plans that you use, whatever they are, coping mechanisms to deal with your guilt, whatever it is, to leave all of that behind and to trust in the finished work of Jesus to forgive you. This is rich and will change your life. Let's start with chapter 9 of Hebrews, verse 1. Now, even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship and the earthly sanctuary. The first covenant is the old covenant or the Mosaic covenant that God made with the Israelites in the desert after he brought them out of Egypt. A covenant is simply an agreement where God and humans could relate to one another. And the first covenant had regulations for the way God was to be worshipped. And the central place was in the, it says here, the earthly sanctuary. 
Now, the Hebrews are very familiar with the setup of the earthly tabernacle under the Old Covenant, but most of us are not. So I want to give you a quick diagram. Maybe we can put this up on the screen and keep it up for a little bit. Here is a diagram of the tabernacle. I got this out of uh, some study Bible, Anchor Bible. So I want you to look at this. I'm going to read the text. You look at the diagram, and that may help you. Let's keep it up for a little bit. Uh, I'll start with verse 2. For there was a tabernacle prepared, that's the whole thing, the outer one in which were the lampstand and the table and the sacred bread, this is called the holy place. You see the holy place there with the lampstand, table, and the loaves. Behind the second veil, that'd be the curtain, behind the second veil, there was a tabernacle which is called the holy of holies. Having a golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden jar holding the manna, and Aaron's rod which but it, and the tables of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat, but of these things we cannot now speak in detail. So this is what we've seen before. The Ark of the Covenant, not Indiana Jones, like real stuff in the Word of God. And you have the holy place in the most holy place. Now, we're not going to go into details here because the author doesn't go into details, but let's keep it up a little bit longer. And what I want you to really pay attention to is that there's two rooms, the holy place and the most holy place, all right? Pay attention to those two rooms, verse 6. Now, when these things have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle performing the divine worship. So the priests go into the holy place, They would go in there to keep the lamp burning. They would swap out the loaves of the consecrated bread. So this holy place is called the outer room where they would go in continually, that is every day, and they would do their work. But what about the high priest? What could he do? Verse 7. But into the second, you see the second room, most holy place. But into the second, only the holy priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. So the deal is is that only the high priest could go into the most holy place. And he could only go in there once a year. And the only way he could get in there was through sacrifice of blood. And the blood sacrifice would simply be a bull for his own sins, and a goat for the sins of the people. So the only way to draw near to God in the old covenant was through a bloody sacrifice. Because God in his holiness must be approached with utmost care by his people. All right? So we still have the system in place. Now the question is, when you see this tabernacle set up, you have to ask yourself, What is the Holy Spirit trying to teach us? Verse 8. The Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing. So the Holy Spirit is revealing something in simply the way the first tabernacle was set up. The Holy Spirit is revealing that as long as there's the first tabernacle or the holy place, that there was a barrier to keep the people of God out of the most holy place in his presence. Because only the high priest could go there and he could go there once a year and it was through blood. Verse 9, which is a symbol for the present time 
Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience, since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation. So the most holy place, that's the first room up here, is a symbol of the time. That is the time of the Hebrews because the temple was probably still standing at the time of writing where people were symbolically hanging out in the holy place. There is a barrier. You can't get into the presence of God. Only one person can get in and that's only one time a year and that was the high priest and he could only get there through blood. So the question you have to ask is, you have all these sacrifices, you got blood flying all over the place and all these rituals, but you couldn't gain entrance in to the most holy place, into the presence of God. Why not? Verse nine, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience. That's it. The reason why, if you were an Old Testament Jew, Old Testament believer, you could not get into the most holy place because there is something up with your conscience. You knew, you knew that there's still something up with your sins. You were remembering them. You knew that it wasn't cleansing you completely because if you were cleansed completely, why couldn't you go into the most holy place? You knew that even though you confessed your sins and an animal was sacrificed, then why are you still hanging outside in the holy place? Why can't you get in? So you know in your conscience, huh, you say my sins are forgiven, but why are you making sacrifices over and over again? So there's something about the Old Testament and your conscience. You knew that even though we talked about forgiveness of sins and sacrifice, there's something that is still keeping them from God. Okay, you can take that down now. I'm going to explain it to you this way. My wife and I just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary six months early. We're so confident we're going to make it. We already celebrated. And here's the deal. If we plan, we, we, we couldn't plan something like that. We've got too many kids, too many moving parts. And so the spur of the moment, I said, let's go away 25th wedding now. And so we went away about 10 days ago to uh, Key West, Florida. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's, it's a pretty nice place. But um, let me tell you something about Key West, Florida. While we were staying there at the hotel, there was a beautiful pool and roosters. You think I'm making this up. And you don't know what I'm talking about unless you've been to Key West. Key West is filled with roosters and chickens everywhere. Everywhere. I'm not joking. They're everywhere. It's not the farm. And so we're there. You can see when you first get there, you go, oh, that is so cute. Look at that beautiful rooster. And you'll see tourists there taking pictures of them, doing selfies with the roosters. They're everywhere. And, and it's cute. But, but after a while, you start to realize that it's not so cute because these chickens and these roosters are noisy and nasty. I was at the pool and I was watching a little chicken go over to a woman's drink and start to drink her drink. Uh, at the table next to me, I saw a chicken flap and plop right in her food. It's like, that's, that's not nice. So at first, you're like, this is great. And then after a while, you're like, this is gross. That's the way sin is, right? 
is good at first. You're like, oh, that's a beautiful rooster of sin in your life. You're like, I enjoy, I enjoy sin. And, but after a while, you're like, oh, my sin, it's just noisy and nasty. And you confess your sin and you repent of your sin. But there's something that still happens. As you walk throughout Key West and you, you're ignoring the roosters, they're still running around. They cross the street, they fly over, they're everywhere. It's the same thing that happens sometimes with our sin. We confess it, and yet in our guilty conscience, we still see the roosters flying by. We know that they're still there. And in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, that's what they were really feeling. We've confessed it, we have renounced it, and yet the roosters are still hanging around. It's because the Old Covenant and the Old Testament, the sacrifices, get this, were only for external cleansing. Verse 10 says clearly, since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations to the body imposed till to a time of reformation. The Old Covenant couldn't do this internal cleansing of sin. It could not clear the worshiper's conscience because he was still nagged by guilt. Though he's confessing of the roosters of sin, he still sees them running around in his conscience because he knows if he's so forgiven, how come he can't go into the most holy place? If he's so forgiven, why are there sacrifices being made over and over and over again? And so he has a guilty conscience. Now, the way this sermon is structured is the first half, halftime, second half. I have football on my mind because I'm rejoicing at the Packers losing last night. So I'm from Chicago. We never make the playoffs anyway, but it's always great to see someone else lose. So first half of the sermon is over. Now we have halftime. This is the halftime of the sermon. And the person performing at the halftime is you. All right, so let's talk about your halftime performance. Let's kind of pull away and talk about ways you and I try to get rid of our guilt, all right? Let's, let's just be totally honest at this moment. You can be 70, 80, 90, and still feel guilty. What are some of the ways that we try to get rid of our guilt? I'm gonna give you kind of a list that I've seen and added to. And so one of the first ways we try to get rid of our guilt is we go to someone, maybe a counselor, to try to tell us that we're not so bad. You're not so bad. You got, just got, you got a low self-esteem problem. You're fine. And yet you know the roosters are still running around. Second thing you try to do is that um, you blame shift. Are there any blame shifters in here? Yeah? Like, my problem, I did something bad because someone else did something bad first. And so... Let's just say, oh, I, I committed adultery because my spouse didn't treat me well or oh, I, I just, I don't know, get drunk, do drugs because my parents ignored me and why should I feel guilty? It's someone else's fault. And so you blame shift. And the third way that you can deal with your guilt is, you know, a lot of the young people, they, they try to self-harm themselves, like cutting. You're like, well, why, do, why do girls cut? Why do they do that? Well, a lot of it's just guilt. Try to make it go away or to at least numb it. And then you got number four, drugs and alcohol abuse, cold medicine abuse, variety of other addictions to try to push that guilt down. Some of you uh, uh, just try to forget and avoid the past. Now, if you try to forget and avoid the past, does anybody know that it just sneaks up on you, right? 
Another way we try to deal with, with the guilt, and you'll see this not just in big cities, but also in the village, is just stay busy. If I'm busy enough, I don't have to think about it enough. Number seven, another way to deal with the guilt is to find comfort in other people to save you from your guilt. Maybe some other people, if I, maybe I need to get into a relationship with someone, maybe that will help me deal with my guilt. Number eight, I see this with a lot of uh, millionaires, billionaires, is that uh, one of the ways you deal with guilt is philanthropy. You can see the most secular atheist people have the greatest foundations. Maybe they're trying to deal with guilt. Number nine, good deeds. Maybe if I can do some more good than the bad, maybe my guilt will go away. I think we can all agree that our systems of dealing with when our conscience feels guilty, all these systems are are temporary, they're short-term, and they're inadequate. Because what we're going to see that there is only one way to deal with a guilty conscience, and that is for your conscience to be cleansed by the finished work of Jesus Christ. Any other way, temporary, inadequate, you're not dealing with true forgiveness. And that's what the author is saying. Don't go back to the old ways. There's no forgiveness there. If there's so much forgiveness, how come you're still stuck on the outside and not in the presence of God? If there's so much forgiveness there, how come there is sacrifices over and over again? And you may wonder, and just kind of a side here, you may wonder, well, well, how were the people in the Old Testament truly forgiven? You ever thought about that before? They are truly forgiven, not by all the animal sacrifices. They were truly forgiven based upon the future sacrifice of Jesus Christ. All right, first half, half time. Now the second half. Ready for this? Let's go. Hang in there. Verse 11. But when Christ appeared, this is a big deal, when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. Well, that's interesting. It seems to indicate that Jesus Christ has also gone into a tabernacle. He's the high priest. He's on the scene. And and the good things that have come now are the better promises built on the new covenant. And it seems that Christ has come and the good things are, hey, there is a definitive forgiveness of sins. Hey, you can really have your conscience cleansed. Hey, you can really come into the presence of God. But what is it about Jesus and his high priestly work that is so final in the forgiveness of your sins? Well, the answer is he operates in a superior sanctuary and he offers a superior sacrifice. So we see in verse 11, once again, that Jesus entered in the Father's presence, which is described here. Look at it again in the middle, verse 11. He entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. So we know that the earthly high priest would go through the first room of the holy place and then before he entered the most holy place. But Jesus is said to go through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. So in order to come into the presence of God, Jesus passed through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, which is simply a way of saying that, that Jesus is in heaven in God's presence. He is in the greater and more perfect tabernacle. The, the focus is on that Jesus and his work is superior to the earthly high priest because he is serving in a more greater and perfect tabernacle, very presence of God. Verse 12. 
and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Now the author not only wants to highlight the superior tabernacle, but he highlights the superior sacrifice. So the high priest on earth would enter bulls, goats, blood, but Jesus entered the most holy place into the very presence of God with a certain sacrifice, not of bulls, not of goats, but of himself. And that was a perfect sacrifice because the blood that he shed was an atoning sacrifice where justice and wrath was poured out on him and sinners get mercy. And now he comes into the heavenly sanctuary and to the presence of God by his own sacrifice. I want you to notice once again in verse 12, it says that he entered the holy place once for all. This is not an over and over sacrifice. We do not stand up here in church and sacrifice Jesus over and over again. Nope. One sacrifice entered into the presence of God. His work on the cross, a superior sacrifice that may complete atonement for sinners. It does not need to be done again, recreated again. One sacrifice. So through his superior sacrifice, one sacrifice, sinners eternally can enter into the presence of God. All right, we're still going. Look at verse 13. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh. You're like, what's after that? Well, think about the Old Testament. How could they be cleansed externally? Well, one of the ways is through the ashes of the heifer were mixed with blood and those who maybe made themselves ceremonially unclean coming in context with a corpse or touching a dead body, skin disease, whatever. And so the blood of, of the heifer mixed with the ashes would be sprinkled on the worshiper. And the whole point of saying this verse right here is just saying it made them externally clean. It cleansed their body, which means they can now participate in the temple worship. But that is just outward. We need something inward, something to cleanse the conscience internally, not just external. Verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So if the priest in the old day could be cleansed externally by some blood sprinkled on him, how much more can the blood of Christ go all the way and cleanse your conscience with the definitive forgiveness of sins? Because even though you're externally clean in the Old Testament, still can't go into the presence of God. They're still going to make offerings over and over again. But through the sacrifice of Christ, he was the lamb presented without blemish to God. 1 Peter 1.19 says that we have been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He is the perfect high priest. He offers the perfect sacrifice. And it cleanses our consciences from acts that lead to death. Because we've all committed acts that lead to death and wrath from God, sinful thoughts, actions, and motives that send us to hell and away from a holy God. And we get this cleansing through repentance and faith in Jesus. This very difficult passage, I think we can just say very simply, and I want to slow down here. There is a way that you can try to deal with your guilt and it's not sufficient. The Jews and the church were considering going back to the old ways, operating under the old covenant, which just cleanses one externally, not internally. And yet the blood of Jesus Christ, 
through his once for all sacrifice of himself, entered in the presence of God, and all those who put their faith in him have free and final access in Jesus alone. Why? He operates in a superior tabernacle in the very presence of God, and he offers a superior sacrifice himself, internal. So let's just pull back and go, okay, we know that. That's a very complicated way to explain that we have access to Jesus forever through his life, death, and resurrection. Okay, we get that. But I want to make a few comments here at the end because you, you may be sitting there and go, well, okay. But what if I don't feel cleansed? What if I still feel guilty for my sin? I want to share this with you from Sinclair Ferguson. He said that the evangelical orientation is inward and subjective. We are far better at looking inward than we are looking outward. Instead, we need to expend our energies admiring, exploring, expositing, and extolling Jesus Christ. That's a fancy way of saying get your eyes off yourself and onto Jesus. And I'll say it to you this way. For every one look at your sin, take 10 looks at Jesus Christ. For every one look at your sin, take 10 looks at Jesus Christ. So rather than going over your sin over and over and over and over again, go over the gospel over and over and over again. Get your eyes off yourself. Put it on Jesus. The second thing I want to say is that uh, you've been forgiven and cleansed to serve the living God. You get that? So many times we think, well, you know, I've done so much evil in my past, so before I can serve God, i got to jump through a lot of hoops, and then maybe at the very end, if I'm good enough, I can serve God. No, not at all. You have been cleansed to serve the living God. You can serve in this church because this church is for repentant sinners. If you are a repentant sinner, you can serve here because the chief of repentant sinners is preaching here. Are you with me? We're all sinners. We don't have to jump through hoops. We can repent, find forgiveness, and serve the living God. One other comment I want to make is, well, does this mean I should never feel guilt about anything? No. No. Because sometimes guilt can be good, right? Sometimes guilt can be good. When we sin, we should feel guilty. A lot of you right now feel guilty for good reasons. Because you've sinned. And yet, don't stay there. Go to Christ. Go to Christ for forgiveness. Don't wallow in it. And I want to tell you this. We can be talking all day about guilt and forgiveness in Jesus, but some of you need to take some actions connected with your guilt and forgiveness. Maybe you've wronged someone. You need to seek reconciliation. You need to go and provide restitution where you need to work out these wrongs because we are not a people who just come in and say, okay, I've sinned. I've heard of the people. I'm forgiven. Forget people. No. There may be a place where you need to go back, ask someone for forgiveness. There need to be a place where you humble yourself and say, man, I spent so many years of just treating you so wrong. Will you please forgive me? That's 
part of the deal, if possible. And the last thing I want to tell you is this. Memories of your past sins until the day you die are still going to come up. You're going to still have thoughts of what you've done. He's, and, of course, the Lord has forgotten, and he remembers your sins no more. And you're like, I know he's forgotten, but I haven't. And so they'll come up from time to time. And I'm going to tell you this. I saw this, this, this quote that says, birds of guilt will land on your head, but they don't have to stay there. To put it another way, roosters will land on your head but they don't have to stay there because you can smack them away with the gospel of Jesus. One look at your sin, 10 looks at Jesus. You can have absolute forgiveness and you can operate with a clear conscience in his righteousness, his blood shed for you. My brothers and sisters, I don't know what system you grew up in, but if you're walking with Jesus, We don't have to walk around with low-grade shame, low-grade guilt. I can't wait to come into church so I can feel guilty again. No, we can live in grace. We don't have to hang our heads. We can look up, see Christ. We are forgiven, not because we're awesome, because he is. Let's live in the gospel. Let's live in Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way, guided by God's Word.